The topic today is uh, how we as believers affirm life from its earliest point of conception in the womb. And I want to start out by saying that it's a sensitive topic. And I think you guys know this, but I want a little help from you. Why is this a sensitive topic? And, and you guys know why, and I know why, but help me articulate it. Why is the pro-life issue a sensitive topic? Help me out here, if you can, uh, Deanna. And raise your hand, and I'll call on you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The argument is that women's women have a choice. Um, Janelle. Yes. Yep. That's right. Someone else. What do you find the most controversial of all this, you know, the, the issue? It's a, it's a big cultural divide in our, in our world today. It's not medical issue. Okay. They're making it into, like, there's a big deception of the medical issue of the right to choose. Mm -hmm. The right to choose is use your pencil. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. get rid of it if you didn't choose. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, I agree with your opinion. And she brought up the issue that it's, Abortion is linked to birth control, that some people use abortion as a, a means of, of birth control, that the baby's already been conceived, you know, uh, or, or the fetus has already been conceived. I say baby. Um, it, yeah, he, he or she's already has uh, everything that he or she needs to develop in the womb. And so the use of abortion as birth control is, is one of the most troubling aspects of it. Uh, others, Michelle. resources that I have, and I'll show you this video to get us started, but research shows, and the, the Pregnancy Care Center here in Eureka, they're great about giving pastors resources. One of them that they have, there's, you're going to see a video from CareNet, and it'll explain a little bit of, about what CareNet is, but it's kind of the umbrella organization that has started over a thousand pregnancy care centers across America, and research shows that two out of five women who've had abortions were attending church at least once a month at the time of their first abortion. Let me repeat that if you didn't catch it. Two out of five women who've had abortions were attending church at least once a month at the time of their first abortion. So a lot of the pro-life community today says it's not about a judicial decision to overturn Roe versus Wade to make abortion legal. It's the fact that abortion should be unthinkable among people in general, but especially among the believing community. But if two out of five women have had abortions and were attending church, you know, had some sort of affiliation, this is actually the church's problem, where we have women in our midst and men, we've all been impacted by abortion, but I've even taught on abortion before, 
and then had someone come up to me later and said, you know, I felt under pressure that if I would have had this baby, the man would have, you know, hurt me very bad as well as the baby, and, and this person was facing very difficult choice in, in her life. And I've heard that story repeated in, in, in other ways and from different people, and so we need to be sensitive to the fact that abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Um, sometimes we as believers come across with a certain viewpoint, but we forget that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there's restoration, there's healing, there's a, a wide variety of compassionate solutions from the Lord as well as the church that we have to offer. Does that make sense? So James says that mercy triumphs over judgment, and the last impression that I want you to get today when we talk about this issue of abortion is that, you know, we're more righteous than the world, and we're going to overturn this, and we're going to seek political solutions for that. We may seek certain methods and means, but it is for the purpose of human restoration. And so I'll play a video. I think we're missing uh, video players <laughs> today, so I'm going to hold with me, and I'll play this video, and we'll watch it. Oh, hold on. I still want us to see this video. But it was in my... No. It's in my email, everybody. Now you're going to see my email. That's not... Oh, yeah, here we go. Okay. A Roman husband wrote to his wife, If you are delivered before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If a girl, discard it. Aristotle instructed, When couples have children in excess, let abortion be procured. Roman law agreed with Greek philosophy. Disabled infants should be destroyed. Jesus came into this dark culture. He demonstrated compassion for the vulnerable and offered saving hope even to the worst people. He cared for the sick, fed the hungry, and proclaimed good news. Let the little children come to me. Early Christians called themselves followers of the way because they imitated Jesus Christ, whose way of living was radically countercultural. They were mocked, lied about, and abused by those around them. Yet they still became known for seeking justice and showing mercy. They even adopted abandoned babies. People of the way know that human worth comes from God, and life begins before birth. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Throughout history, Christ followers spread the gospel in word and deed, helping prisoners, slaves, the hungry, sick, pregnant women, orphans, and disaster victims. There's the 16th century parish priest Vincent de Paul, who organized care for war orphans, ransomed slaves, and supported victims of failed abortions. In Britain, William Wilberforce and Hannah Moore worked together to end the slave trade. 
Gladys Aylward shared the good news in China. She adopted orphans, advocated for lepers and prisoners, and helped end the binding of women's feet. Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Mother Teresa spoke of abortion destroying peace. She said, The so-called right to abortion has pitted mothers against their children and women against men. It has portrayed the greatest of gifts, a child, as a competitor, an intrusion, and an inconvenience. The same compassion that motivated these believers and millions of others throughout history led Francis Schaeffer to mobilize modern Christ followers to speak up for abortion victims. He helped found CareNet, which supports more than 1,100 pregnancy centers today. These centers empower women and couples with Christ-centered support and realistic alternatives to abortion. Christian adoption agencies help birth parents place their children in loving families. Many believers have even provided shelter for pregnant women needing safe haven. As followers of the way, our convictions remain countercultural. When we help people making pregnancy decisions choose life, we are joining the greatest rescue mission in history, sharing mercy with marginalized people and seeking justice for the oppressed is still authentic evidence of following Christ. Dear children, love with actions and in truth. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. jump out to you from that video? Did anything jump out to you from that video, Molly? Mm -hmm. So the, the issue of us being created in the likeness of God is what I want to talk to you about today. Um, we can't talk about this issue without a clicker. <laughs> sorry, do you see my clicker? Did I leave it there? Um, sorry, it's me doing my own uh, technical work today, sorry. And without um, looking at the Roe v. Wade decision, uh, it was January 22nd, 1973, and the 47th anniversary is Wednesday. And so it's 47 years of American history that we know that abortion's been legal in our country. Now, there were abortions that happened before this time, but they were not generally legal, and there was a variety of laws that were federal and state before that time. But since 1973, that's five years before I was born, uh, there have been over 60 million abortions in the United States. Uh, if these abortions uh, did not occur, the, the population of the United States would be larger than its current population of 330 million citizens. It would be 390, and that's not counting the children of the aborted as well as grandchildren and, and the like. So as a percentage, our population would be 18% larger, just as one nation, just the United States of America. I think we're now the third most populous 
nation in the world behind China and India. And so we would be a much larger nation. The problem's even larger on a global scale. The Guttmacher Institute estimates that between 2010 and 2014, there were 56 million induced abortions each year nationwide. So that Guttmacher Institute gives us that number, that per year around the globe, 56 million induced abortions happening every year. The UN Population Division estimates that there's 140 or let's call it 141 million births per year. So you would add that figure, 56 to 141, and there'd be almost 200 million births every year, but 56 million of them don't happen because of abortion around the globe. So it's bigger than just the United States of America. And then, of course, people dying from various things, 56, almost you know, upwards of 57 million people a year. We believe as believers that human beings in these figures are people created in the image of God, not just a number. I kind of look at it from a big perspective there, but we believe that each and every human being starts out like this and then grows and should have the opportunity to live life, experience liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and die a natural death. We read in Genesis 1.27 about the creation of Adam and Eve. It says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The key phrase here is in his image. We learn a little bit more. I'm going to come back to this phrase, in his image. But we learn a little more detail in Genesis 2.7 about the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam specifically. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So what is Adam made from? Dust or dirt or mud or, you know, it's, it's the earth. But then he also gets this other, other thing from God. What's he get from God that turns the dust into something remarkable? Breath. The word is ruach in Hebrew, and it also means spirit. Ruach HaKadosh is the Old Testament Hebrew word for Holy Spirit. So God gives mankind, uh, in the person of Adam, his divine breath. And then Eve, I don't have the scripture up here, but do you remember what Eve is made from? The rib of Adam. So she comes apparently right out of Adam, and so it's uh, right out of his side. Here we see that Adam has an earthly body that is material as well as life which comes from the breath of God. The breath of God is also referred to as the Spirit of God in the Bible. So the biblical worldview is that we have a creator and that we ultimately belong to our creator who is God. Now this does two things. It elevates humankind to a high status as men and women that we're not just accidents of random chance processes through eons of time, but it also humbles us because we stand beneath a superior being, and that superior being is not uh, the aliens like on the History and Discovery Channel that say, you know, ancient aliens. It is God, Elohim, who created us. We answer to him. 
Now, this is interesting. People have different ideas about what it means to be created in the image of God. Let me ask you, I'll go through these, but first of all, when it says we're created in the image of God, what do you think that means? Any thoughts? Anyone want to share? Rhonda? Okay, very good. We look like him. Uh, Janelle? Very good. We're the only ones given language. Mike? Yeah, very good. We're spirit beings. Um, the ESV study Bible in the back of it has this list of nine things that people theorize what it means to be created in the image of God. And some of these I didn't think of. Uh, the first one. Now these are, these are, the scripture says we're created in the image of God, but this is people's ideas for 2,000 years and longer, you know, actually it'd be more like 3,500 years. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? The first one, the human upright body form. Number two, human dominion over nature. Number three, human reason. Number four, human pre-fallen righteousness, the righteousness that Adam and Eve enjoyed before they sinned. Five human capacities, which are, which are many. Uh, you think of everything from Michelangelo, you know, doing the roof of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican to unlocking the human genome in the 20th century. We have incredible capacities. The man-woman relationship, with, which then extends to the family relationship, the tribal relationship, the community, society, how human living is different from every other creature. Responsible creaturehood and moral conformity to God that we're accountable for laws. I mean, in every society, it's wrong to kill. If there's ever a society in human history that doesn't value that, that society pretty soon doesn't last because they kill themselves and you don't propagate the next generation. Um, personhood. And then nine's probably the best. Various combinations of the above factors. But there's something about humanity that we're not achieving something or earning something to have dignity to be human. Even if you are old, even if you are diseased, even if you are handicapped, even if you are unborn, even if you're mentally deficient, even if you're mute, blind, even if you're criminal, we believe that there is an inherent dignity in every human being. And we call it the imago Dei. That's the Latin term for being made in the image of God. Imago Dei means image of God. So what's clear from Scripture is that only human beings bear the image of God. We're unique. We're not like the animals. They do not bear His image. They're created by Him, but they don't bear His image. Likewise, angels. A lot of people don't realize that the Scriptures teach that we are actually superior to the angels in the fact that we bear the image of God. Now, there's two different types of beings that are called sons of God. Adam is called a son of God, therefore we, like C.S. Lewis said in Chronicles of Narnia, he talked about all the sons of Adam and all the daughters of Eve. But scripture calls Adam a son of God, and angels are also called sons of God. But of all these children of God, only humankind, men and women, bear the image of God. So that's something to chew on, okay? Because how would we be different from angels? Uh, 
at the time of Noah, after the flood, God enters a covenant with Noah. God specifies that human beings are allowed to kill animals for food. So before this time, they did not kill animals for food. Now, this is kind of remarkable because remember uh, Cain and Abel? Cain brings the first fruits of the ground to God before an offering, and Abel brought uh, a lamb. He brought a sheep and sacrificed it. So apparently he didn't eat the food. He just sacrificed it unto God. And I think what it was, a lot of Bible students agree, that when Adam and Eve sinned and God clothed them with skins, what they saw, that the Bible doesn't tell us, but what they saw was God kill a lamb or a couple lambs, took the skins off them, and put those on Adam and Eve because they covered themselves with fig leaves and it wasn't adequate. So a lot of people read back into it because they say, how was it that um, Abel was a shepherd? How was it, you know, and then all through scriptures, you get all this imagery of, of shepherding. Jesus is, is a good shepherd. King David's a shepherd. Uh, it just goes on and on. When Isaac is about to be sacrificed by Abraham, well, sure enough, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Where, where God's pleased and Abraham said God him, God's going to provide himself a lamb. He's going to provide himself with a sheep. And so you get all this beautiful imagery in scriptures about shepherds and sheep. So the point that I'm making here today though is that they weren't eating animals for food. But after the flood they can. But God makes it very specific uh, what's to happen if a human is killed. Genesis 9-6 in this covenant with Noah. You get to eat steak now, okay? We can have venison. We can have beef, chicken, uh, all these different stuff. Later, the Jews wouldn't eat pork and lobster, uh, you know. But whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So this is before Jesus, before the Old Testament prophets, before the law at my at Mount Sinai, before Moses, before Abraham, God says that if someone kills another human being, then it's of an entirely different order than killing an animal. Why? For God made man in his own image. And this is where societies like ours get the idea of capital punishment. That in order for the land to have a just standing, you have to cleanse the land of, of blood, the guilt of blood, which means when you get a psychopathic murderer, like a, you know, you can think of different people, that the state has the God-given authority to exercise capital punishment. Now, there are those who disagree, but this does indeed show that human life made in the image of God is sacred. And the rest of Scripture testifies to this also, but one remaining question is probably, when does life begin for a human being? In Psalm 139.13, it was already quoted in that video, but it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then you get the testimony of John the Baptist when he's an infant, uh, where his mother Elizabeth says to Mary, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And so Jesus was a human being while he was still in Mary's womb. And John the Baptist was a human being 
before he was born in Elizabeth's womb. And modern science seems to show us, in fact, I would say there's a solid case, that human life does begin at conception, when the sperm is united with the egg, and you get a whole new series of sequence of events that that will, unless it's, it's messed with in some way, that sperm and egg forming that new zygote and an embryo and a fetus, that is a human being in its earliest form when it's just two cells that have then formed together into the zygote, that that is a human being. And so that is the general understanding of the evangelical church, of the conservative element, the conservative majority of the Roman Catholic Church, of the Eastern Orthodox Church, and has been the practice for 2,000 years of Christians to educate and help and rescue and advocate for human life in its earliest moments. And so we want to pray for life. We want to pray for moms and dads. And we want to do it with compassion and mercy. But we do want to do it. It is the modern issue that's equivalent to slavery, that's equivalent to the Holocaust. Because Andy Andrews wrote a book, a, a profound little book that's very short, but the question is, how do you kill, I think it's six million people or nine million people, you'll find it, it's a, it's a little book written by Andy Andrews, how do you kill six million people? And his answer in the book is you lie to them. You lie to them. You tell them, hey, people from Africa that have come over on the ships, they're only two-fifths of a human being. Or, you know, two-fifths, two three-fourths. You know, they're, they're not a full human being. Or you tell Germany and the, you know, Nazi-occupied France and Hungary and those areas, you tell them, hey, these Jews aren't human beings. They're a sub-race. They're something, they're animal, but they're not up to par with the Aryan race or with the German people and the French people and things like that. In other words, you lie to them. But the Christ Christianity, we still follow the one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're truly my disciples, you know my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 